Welcome to today's podcast on cellular therapies for the treatment of AML. We'll be hearing from leading experts on CAR-T and cellular therapy who are going to talk to us about the most exciting updates in the field. First up, I have Saar Gill of the Perriman School of Medicine, which is based in the US, and he's going to share a clinical update on CAR T cell therapy for AML. Saar, could you give me a little bit of background on the use of CAR T in AML before discussing the CAR T123 study? Hello, and thank you for the invitation to speak about CAR T cells in acute myeloid leukemia for the IW CAR T cell meeting. So the response rates and indeed the number of patients treated and reported with, uh, with AML with uh, CAR T cell therapy is, is uniquely low. In fact, recently I went through the literature manually and found only 46 instances of patients reported either in abstract form or in published uh, form. And of those, only 15% had deep responses. But the uh, targets that are generally um, being tested are CD123, CD33, and CL1, also known as CLEC12A. What happens within the setting of AML with the targeted antigens are myeloid antigens. Some of the antigens being targeted, as I mentioned before, are CD33, CD123, CLL1, and several others. But those are expressed not only on uh, leukemia cells, be they bulk or leukemic stem cells, but also on some important normal myeloid progenitors, such as neutrophils and monocytes that we need, of course. And so a number of years ago, my group pioneered an approach that would create a leukemia-specific antigen de novo. The concept that we started with was that CAR T cells directed against myeloid antigens would eliminate disease at the expense of unacceptable bone marrow toxicity because of the shared expression of these myeloid antigens. But that if we could use a gene editing strategy such as CRISPR to uh, remove the shared antigen from normal stem cells, we could then eliminate disease but regenerate normal hematopoiesis. And indeed, we uh, published this in Cell in 2018, um, and the approach relied on CRISPR-based editing of human CD34 cells to remove CD33, and we found that CD33, um, uh, surprisingly perhaps, was not required for normal hematopoietic development and function. Long-term engraftment of humanized mice um, was unimpaired. CD11B and CD14 as markers of differentiated myeloid cells were no different in the knockout or control recipients, and indeed that there was no difference in the immunophenotypic and ultimately functional stem and progenitor cell populations. And then uh, we tested this approach by infusing these uh, mice with CAR T cells directed against CD33 and found that our concept uh, and hypothesis were correct, that we could deplete uh, normal cells um, and live uh, and allow the persistence of CD33 deficient myeloid cells and stem and progenitor cells, um, which would therefore allow us to treat ultimately um, humans with an anti-CD33 CAR T cell uh, product, as long as those patients were first engrafted with the CD33 deficient stem cell transplant. We did that in mice, we did it in monkeys, and we're now designing a clinical trial that would allow us to do just that in patients with high-risk acute myeloid leukemia. To finish off, I want to share with you um, two different case presentations um, that are informed by what we can uh, learn from lymphoid malignancies. The first case is one um, that, that ultimately was, was really um, sort of a sad ending, but one that was incredibly informative and important for us to consider in the treatment of myeloid malignancies. This was a, a patient who was treated about a year ago with uh, anti-CD123 CAR T cells at our institution for AML that had transformed from a prior JAK2 mutated 
uh, myeloproliferative neoplasm that, that was longstanding. She developed initially uh, grade two cytokine release syndrome, which was resolved quite quickly with just elizumab and she improved and went home. But over the next few weeks, developed slowly but progressively severe pancytopenia with a, eventually a neutrophil count of zero. And uh, she then was admitted to the hospital with febrile neutropenia hypotensive and treated for gram-negative sepsis, but uh, or suspected gram-negative sepsis, I should say. But over the next 12 hours, there were some remarkable changes that occurred that um, that culminated in an admission to the intensive care unit with severe hypoglycemia and profound lactic acidosis, um, requiring triple pressure support, sodium bicarbonate infusion, um, and ultimately, unfortunately, the patient died of irreversible multi-organ failure. Our hypothesis at this time was that this was a, a case of severe neutropenia-related gram-negative sepsis, um, though we did treat her for cytokine release syndrome just in case. But, the, but we never found any evidence of infection. And in fact, we noted at this time that her white cell count, which consisted solely of lymphocytes, uh, increased tenfold in the course of 12 hours. And in fact, retrospectively, we found out that the, these uh, white cells were composed only of T cells. We also ultimately received the CAR T cell quantification from this patient compared with several of the others on our uh, CAR 123 clinical trial for AML and found massive expansion, expansion of her CAR T cells with somewhat delayed genetics compared to what we were accustomed to. Um, and her cytokines were not consistent with cytokine release syndrome. So uh, we postulated that that um, perhaps some T cells in the apheresis product did carry the JAK2V617F mutation, and perhaps uh, those cells were given a proliferative advantage and, and led to this massive expansion of T cells as shown in the last few days. And, and that was that was correct. That hypothesis was correct. We in fact did not find the JAK2 mutation. Uh, postulating that it was the, below the limit of detection in the infusion product, that is the CAR T cells that we infused into the patient. Clinical um, molecular biology testing found at a VAF of 37% at the time point at which there were no other cells in the blood except T cells, suggesting that this was indeed contributing to the uh, clinical scenario. And this is reminiscent of a patient with, with uh, CLL that we treated a number of years ago with quite a different ending to that story, whereby this patient CLL was uh, was rejected by the progeny of one single T cell, and we proved that by doing lentiviral integration site analysis as well as um, as well as TCR sequencing, and we actually found that the reason these uh, CLL patients T cells uh, behaved in such a fashion was because of integration of the CAR into the TED2 locus, excuse me, locus in a patient who had a heterozygous TED2 mutation, essentially a chip to begin with. And so reminiscent of, of the patient I told you about, but with quite a different ending. And then the last patient to tell you about, again on the CART-123 study, um, is one who had relapsed AML post a sibling allotransplant with refractory disease prior to infusion of CAR T cells. You can see here, October of 2019, we infused the CAR T cells and bone marrow blast went from 75% to 0% with MRD positive at times uh, molecularly positive remission. Uh, ultimately, the patient had protracted myeloablation as expected from the CART-123 uh, administration. And we actually reconstituted his uh, hematopoiesis with the infusion of CD34 selected cells from his original donor with uh, prompt and uncomplicated reconstitution of neutrophils and platelets and uh, resolution of infection. He went back to work. Thanks for that, Sar. 
Just to finish off, what do you think are the next steps for the advancement of CAR-T therapy for AML? What I think is that we have, uh, we're at the end of the beginning for CAR T cells in AML. AML clearly responds to some immunotherapy, but not others. Um, we do see some early indicators of response to CAR T cells and to bispecific T cell engaging antibodies. But the issues that we're still faced with are those of target antigen selection, on target off tumor toxicity efficacy, logistics and feasibility, and we do need to uh, start thinking about rational combinations to further improve the, uh, the CAR T-cell approach in, in AML. What a really great way to open the podcast. Next up is Richard Atpence, who's going to tell us about the role of CAR T in the treatment of pediatric AML. Over to you, Richard. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you today on immunotherapy options for children with acute myeloid leukemia. My name is Richard Applins, and I'm a pediatric oncologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So just as some background around pediatric acute myeloid leukemia, it's the second most common pediatric leukemia, and there are about 500 children a year diagnosed in the United States, and the overall survival in children is about 66%. This is actually dramatically different, both in number of patients and survival with adults. And these are data from the SEER database where uh, there are, I think, next year estimated to be about 20,000 new adult uh, cases with about a 30% overall survival rate. There are important differences between pediatric and adult AML that I think are relevant for the development of novel therapies. And the first one is that there is a lower mutational burden uh, in pediatric uh, AML than in adults. And there are actually more structural variants in pediatric AML than adult AML. However, both pediatric and adult AML share uh, several uh, cell surface targets that are potential immunotherapy targets. Of these, CD33 and CD123 are the best known. Now, AML therapy in children is very intensive. It's primarily inpatient, and it really uh, is the most intensive therapy that can be delivered outside of an allergenic donor stem cell transplant. Now, it also involves giving the maximum cumulative anthracycline dose that can be given safely over an individual's lifetime and typically involves two broad courses. First would be two induction courses and then consolidation uh, with either chemotherapy or a stem cell transplant. Now, despite this very intensive therapy, about half of children in the United States will actually experience AML relapse. And the outcome for children with relapsed and refractory AML is very poor. You can see on the right-hand side of your screen the most recent publication, which is now 11 years old, describing the outcome for children with relapsed uh, and refractory AML with an overall survival of around 20%. Now, the time to relapse is the biggest determinant in terms of survival post-relapse. And there are new data demonstrating that molecular features that relapse also play a role. Now, obviously, treatment options for these patients is, is limited. They are in, increasing, but they are still limited, and, and transplant is required for cure of these patients. Now, there has been a great deal of excitement about chimeric antigen receptor therapy uh, based on the pediatric ALL experience, and we and, and many investigators have been working on developing AML therapy or CAR therapy for children with AML. Now, CAR therapy for AML is more complex than in the ALL setting. 
uh, in part because all of the known cell surface targets are also on normal hematopoietic progenitors. And that means that we are going to need to expect uh, substantial bone marrow toxicity, which potentially uh, could be life-threatening. And it also means that the, the CAR therapy will need to be followed uh, by transplant to both rescue potential bone marrow aplasia, but also as a consolidative therapy. And there are now emerging data on the potential impact of the tumor microenvironment as a modifier for AML-CAR response in, in ways that may be different than in the pediatric ALL setting. So currently, there are approximately 28 AML-CAR trials listed at clinicaltrials.gov, and the list of targets is, is noted here. There are multiple trials involving children at several U.S. sites, um, both at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the National Cancer Institute, as well as St. Jude, Texas Children's, and City of Hope. And I've listed uh, some of the self-surface targets that are being studied in those trials. Generally, all of these trials have very similar inclusion and exclusion criteria, namely relapsed and refractory AML, both relapsed uh, after transplant and after chemotherapy only. There are some differences for age criteria in terms of eligibility for trials, with some trials being open only to older children. However, the end organ function and uh, exclusion criteria are, are typically very similar between the trials. I'd like to talk very briefly about two trials that are open for which we have some direct experience with. The first one is a CD33 CAR trial that utilizes a CAR construct that was developed by Dr. Terry Fry when he was at the NIH. There are, this trial will enroll up to 34 patients at multiple sites. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the National Cancer Institute are the primary sites uh, that enrolled initially, but now uh, we have CHLA, Denver Children's, Seattle Children's, and the Dana-Farber Cancer Center uh, as participating sites. This is a standard 3 plus 3 phase 1 study design with three dose levels. We're currently at dose level 2, which is uh, an infusion dose of 1 times 10 to the 6 uh, CD33 CAR cells per kilogram. And there have been five patients uh, treated to date on this trial. Thank you, Richard. Lots of things to look forward to there with the results of those trials. Now, we have the pleasure of hearing from Marion Subcleaver of the LMU Hospital in Munich. Marion, I believe you're going to compare CAR-T therapies and bite therapies in the treatment of AML. So my name is Marion Subcleaver from the LMU University Hospital in Munich, where I'm heading the cellular immunotherapy program. I have given the challenging task to compare two still developing treatment platforms in AML bites and cars. So one of the challenges of translating the success in ALL to AML is the identification of a suitable target antigen, and this applies to the bite as well as to the CAR-T platform. So the table shows the most frequently targeted antigens, and these surface antigens include CD33, CD123, and CL1. And you can see the expression profile on AML versus healthy hematopoietic cells, which demonstrate that there's a clear overlap with no target antigen being solely expressed on AML cells. And the clear challenge is on-target off leukemia toxicity. And for most target antigens, there's only a small therapeutic window. And this is further challenged by the antigen heterogeneity in AML and dual targeting strategies are involved in utilizing bispecific formats for CAR T cell construct with either increased safety by only getting 
activated upon binding to two target antigen or counteract antigen escape variants by independent dual targeting. The later has already entered clinical trials in which dual targeting CAR T cells are combined with an allogeneic stem cell rescue to counteract potential hematotoxicity, demonstrating the maybe most successful antileukemic strategy of CAR T cells in AML so far, with seven out of nine patients achieving an MRD negative response after CD33 and CLL1 CAR T cell transfusions. Six out of seven patients received a subsequent allogenic stem cell transplantation and one patient refused to proceed within the clinical trial. So looking at the construct design of bites versus CAR Ts, at least the currently applied formats demonstrate a difference in T cell stimulation as T cell biospecifics only mimic MHC-TCR interaction without conveying a second signal of positive co-stimulation, which is integrated in the current CAR T-cell constructs. And at least in an in vitro model system, we were able to show that the addition of a positive co-stimulatory domain enhances CD33 bite-mediated cytotoxicity and T-cell proliferation. So the effector cells and biospecifics are endogenous CD4 and CD8 T cells, whereas in the CAR T cell setting, selected autologous or allogeneic CD4, CD8 T cell populations can be applied. In both settings, T cell fitness most likely determines outcome, as at least in the field of B cell malignancies has been shown. With a correlation of response to defined T-cell subsets and data from flotituzumab, a CD123 DART, showing higher response rate in primary refractory and early relapse patients with possible a better T-cell fitness. And in analogy, early data from the ZUMA12 trial showed better T-cell expansion in patients treated in the primary refractory setting versus patients treated in third line within the ZUMA1 trial. Clearly, there's a huge advantage for bispecifics as an off-the-shelf product versus CAR T-cells that currently need a manufacturing time of three to four weeks with an average of 10% production failure and product variability. Also, bites have a better safety profile as the infusion can be interrupted, whereas CAR T-cell products at the current time point, no routine on-off switch is integrated. So looking at safety, here we uh, see two um, biospecific trials, the CD123 DART and the CD100, CD33 BI trial. CIS is the most common adverse event, but higher grade is only reported in 7 to 15% of the cases. It's similar to the CD19 CAR T cells, when looking at a list of 65 reported AML patients treated with CAR T cells, it appears that higher grade CIS do occur in these patients, and particularly in patients responsive to CAR T cell therapy. But clearly the reported patient numbers are too small to make any final conclusions on this topic yet. This also applies to hematotoxicity, at least in the bite and tart setting, hematopoietic recovery under AMG330 and flotituzumab infusions have been reported. In the CAR T-cell setting, any conclusions are difficult to make as CAR T-cells have commonly been used as a bridge to transplant. So the biggest question is clearly, do biospecifics or CAR T-cells work in AML? So in the field of biospecifics, the first 
full text paper has been published utilizing a CD123 DART molecule for treatment of relapse refractory AML, including patients with primary induction failure and early relapse. Overall response was 24%, with a higher response rate of 30% in the primary refractory early relapse patients, which compares very favorable to historical controls with only 13% response rate. In the still two recruiting trials targeting CD33, AMG330 and AMG673, the later half-life extended version of AMG330, the response rate in the higher cohorts was reported in 21% of the patients. So now looking at the response rate of the 65 patients reported to have been treated with CAR T-cells derived from 12 different trials, one can conclude a huge variation in response rate averaged 26%. However, small M numbers, incomplete reporting, and huge differences in response between the trials, with, for example, rather low response rate in the NKG2DL trial with 22 patients included, and a very high response rate with nine patients included in the CD33 CLL1 compound trial already presented to you. As the data is still evolving, little is known about mechanism of resistance and escape. However, in the setting of the CD123 DART construct, an interferon gamma-mediated gene expression profile of the bone marrow correlated with response to flutatuzumab. In addition, p53 mutation status positively correlated to complete and partial responses giving for the first time guidance on patients most likely to benefit from this treatment platform. And lastly, it has been shown that continuous exposure to biospecifics can lead to T-cell exhaustion, and this has been observed also in the CAR T-cell setting. Interestingly, treatment-free intervals or drug-induced downregulation of T-cell activation can reinvigorate T-cell function as shown here in in vitro model system as well as in the mouse system with GT2-specific CAR T-cells. This might favor bispecific constructs they can easily be switched on and off and thereby could potentially counteract T-cell exhaustion. So I believe bispecifics might find a place in treatment early during disease course, ideally in the MRD setting, targeting possibly multiple antigens, possibly sequentially, and depending on biomarker analysis in decision to combine and modulate the tumor microenvironment and enhance bispecific activity. CAR T cells appear powerful and might evolve in the near future as part of a conditioning regimen prior to allergenic stem cell transplantation to reduce relapse rate or possibly in a relapse setting in which a higher toxicity is acceptable. What a fantastic overview, Marion. You've really summarised it nicely for us there, so thank you very, very much for that. Last, but by no means least, we're going to hear from Rizran Wami, who is here to talk about some very new and very exciting approaches to AML treatment, NK cells and CAR NK cells. Rizwan, please tell us more. NK cells are attractive for immunotherapy, but NK cells are typically derived from a family member, a haploidical donor, then enriched with military beads, overnight activated AL2 or recently AL15, and then infused into patients after they get lymphodepletion. And then IL2 is typically used to enhance in vivo activity and proliferation of these adopted transferred NK cells. However, there are some major challenges, including limited expansion and persistence of the adopted transfer cells, 
and responses have mostly been limited to myeloid malignancies and are in the range of anywhere from 10 to 30 percent. And with the use of IL-2 in the patient, there's preferential expansion of Treg. Few years back, when I was doing my postdoc at WashU, we found that activation of regular or conventional NK cells with this specific cytokine cocktail, which includes IL-12 and 18, uh, leads to uh, differentiation of these cells into what we call memory-like NK cells. Uh, so if these pre-activated NK cells are arrested in um, um, low-dose IL-2 or low-dose IL-15 clinic media or adaptively transferred into NSG mice, um, they differentiate over several days into memory-like NK cells. And if you re-challenge re these cells with either tumor targets or cytokines, uh, and they produce more interferon gamma as well as they kill better. And in an NSG mouse model, they control in vivo growth of the um, AML cells much better than the conventional NK cells. The other key properties of these memory-like NK cells are, uh, as I mentioned, the enhanced anti-tumor responses, but also prolonged survival in vivo. They have been able to be detected up to 90 days in a mouse model. They have enhanced proliferation, and they also have enhanced ADCC functionality. May all of these properties make them attractive for adaptive immunotherapy trials. We did a phase one trial of these cytokine-induced memory-like NK cells at WashU before I moved to Dana-Farber. It's now published, um, and we treated a total of 19 patients with relapsed refractory AML. Uh, the use of cytokine-induced memory-like NK cells were found to be safe with no CRS. Even some of the patients had up to 80% loss going into this trial. We did not have any graft versus host disease, even though these were haploidical donor-derived NK cells. And more importantly, we saw promising activity with more than 50% of these patients achieving blast clearance. Uh, currently at Dana-Farber, we have several clinical trials using these memory-like NK cells. Um, one of the trials which has been enrolling for the last few months is this trial of haploidical donor-derived uh, memory-like NK cells in patients who have relapsed after transplant. We go back to the same donor who gave the original graft, derive the NK cells, and then generate this memory-like NK cells the same way as before. These patients get flu lymphodepleting prep, and then low dose at one million international per meter squared of IL-2 every other day for a total of seven doses. We have treated a total of seven patients as of today. Uh, four out of the first six patients who were available uh, were able to clear the disease, including the one who had TP53 mutant clone, which was very uh, pleasantly surprising and reassuring. Um, interestingly, we are seeing massive expansion of these NK cells after adoptive transfer in this clinical trial. Uh, NK cells dominate the peripheral blood compartment after adaptive transfer. Uh, before infusion to NK cells, as you've seen in orange, these are NK cells in the peripheral blood, hardly any, but starting day 14, and in this patient after day 60, and now beyond that, you see that they dominate the peripheral blood compartment, which is very reassuring. They can infiltrate into the tumor um, masses. So we think that these NK cells, when they go into the tumor site, they actually recruit um, um, T cells, particularly CD8 in the beginning, and then followed by long-term persistence of CD4, which is very fascinating. We are also currently using the same platform, this memory-like NK cell platform, to arm them with CARs. Um, one of the challenges in using NK cell-based CARs is the low transduction efficiency using the regular serotype uh, antivirus, so BSVG, which is used often uh, for lentiviruses in, 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 in uh, T cells. Um, uh, binds to LDL to get into the LDL receptor to get in the cells. The expression of LDL receptor in on both conventional NK cells 
as well as memory-like NKSTAS is quite low, and that's the low transduction efficiency. Uh, our group has found that the memory-like NK cells have high expression of um, ASCT1 and 2, which is an amino acid transporter, and that there is a particular glycoprotein called baboon analog glycoprotein. So we stereotyped our virus, our antivirus, with the baboon analog glycoprotein with different cytokine stimulation. The one which generates this memory-like NK cells leads to quite high transduction efficiency. Interestingly, if you gape on the subsets of NK cells, for transduction, looks like um, the more immature NK cells seem to be preferentially transduced than the mature, and we think it's an advantage as the immature NK cells tend to have more proliferation potential in vivo. Uh, I have collaborate. I'm collaborating with a group at MIT, Jianju Chen's group, and um, uh, in our collaboration, we have isolated a particular. Um, um, clone of an antibody, which is able to recognize a neoaptope generated from NPM1 mutant protein, and um, it's uh, bound to HLA-A2, and we have incorporated into a CAR. We recently published CAR T-cell using the same clone, and now we have um, our memory-like NK cells with the same CAR. This is our construct. Again, it's able to bind to A1Q neoaptope, which is generated from this uh, mutant protein and expressed by HLA-A2. These are our current car constructs, which we are testing uh, in vitro and in vivo, and we hope to take them to clinic soon. Uh, one has membrane-bound IL-15, the other has uh, secretory form of IL-15. The killing is much better um, using this NPM1 car. And then in vivo, in NSG mouse model, we, when we compare untransduced versus NPM1 car, but without the uh, membrane-bound or secretory form of IL-15, um, versus the IL-15 containing cars, we found that the membrane-bound IL-15 uh, containing cars are working much better. This is summarizing the data. We are currently uh, finishing these experiments and hope to submit the paper soon, and we are writing an IND to move forward to clinic in the next few months. Lastly, I want to thank my lab members, as well as my collaborators at MIT, uh, Professor Jianju Chen's lab, as well as collaborators at Harvard, as well as my funding sources. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rizwan. NK cells really are such an exciting approach to AML treatment, and it will be very interesting to see where we are with NK cells in a couple of years' time. So that is the last update we have for you today, and I'd like to wrap up by thanking all of our experts for taking the time to speak with us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast on cellular therapies for the treatment of AML. You can follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed, and you can also visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates on CAR-T, cellular therapies, and much, much more in the field of hematological oncology. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. <laughs>